in the light. I need a personal assistant who every time says, hit the button. So we're on. All right, so uh, walking in the light. Uh, so that's going to be verses 6 through 10. I think we'll finish at least this first chapter. So just to uh, remind you a little bit, so walking in the light, light is a huge uh, topic. I think there are things, and I'm going to kind of focus in on that a little bit uh, as far as walking in the light, that, that that God is light is particularly saying. But it certainly would include, when we look at all of Scripture, that he's perfect in holiness. We talked about that in some sense, since we do have darkness in us, that can be terrifying. Uh, but it is also joyful to consider that and that uh, because of Christ, we can deal with the terrifying part because our sin is dealt with. Uh, besides holiness, his light speaks of his uh, complete knowledge and truth, his openness and exposure of good and evil, that he's the source of physical and spiritual life, uh, that he manifests absolute glory, that he's the source of perfect joy and peace, and that he is also perfect love. So that's about God. So then it moves from that uh, into verse 6. Uh, and in that, that it says, if we say we have fellowship with him, so this perfect God of light, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we want to look at, so what is that? You've got this God who is perfect light. And so what does it look like for us to walk in the light and not in the darkness? And again, he speaks in these kind of absolute terms. You're, we're one or we're the other. Um, we all know that we don't perfectly walk in the light, even those who are definitely believers and pursuing Christ. We know we don't do that perfectly. But still, John paints this really vivid picture. Of, so what does it look like, though? Big picture, walking in the light versus walking in the darkness. And I do think the, the focus of light, uh, particularly looking at the things that are mentioned within 1 John itself, uh, and I kind of tweaked it to make it hopefully a little easier to remember um, and put, don't lose the plot, uh, that it's persevering in love, obedience, or holiness, and trust in the truth, and that those themes get repeated over and over uh, in 1 John, that to walk in the light is to persevere in uh, the right kind of love for God and others, obedience to God and pursuing holiness, and trusting in the truth, the actual teachings about who Christ is, who God is. All right, so... Let's kind of walk through that a little bit. So to walk in the light and not in the darkness uh, is to be persevering. So those other things that we talked about, um, and, and we touched on this a little bit at the end of last time, but I want to dig in a little deeper. So the idea is that, uh, for example, in 1 John 2.19, we persevere in this kind of love. And so it's not something that we just, you know, like if you think of the parable of the seeds or the soils, um, that there were some that sprang up and they were very excited and so on, and then they withered away. So it's not that. First John 2.19 says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. So John definitely is pressing that this, um, these things that are shown in our life should persevere. Um, we will 
sometimes have people that we love or care about who seem like they're pursuing Christ for a time and they walked away. And we're not going to go deeply into all of that. Uh, there's so many of these things in 1 John, you realize why it could take a really, really long time to go through 1 John because he hits very deep things. And so I'm not going to stop and, and hit all of them in, uh, in great detail. But certainly there uh, other scriptures talk about those who are saved, but as through fire. I mean, they just barely get through. They really are believers, and only God knows their heart. And I'm always so thankful that we don't have to figure out the fine points of, that person really never was a believer, or are they a believer? But wow, they are just backslidden. They are just not walking closely with the Lord. We don't want to be either of those, so I would try not to, uh, you know, occasionally I have met someone who seemed like they were almost purposely going, well, I just want to, you know, I just want to get in. That's, I don't want to go further than that. Not, not a good uh, way to go. So John is pointing that out, that uh, these people that he's talking about went out from us because they were not really of us. And that word abide gets used a lot in 1 John. So that idea that real believers, those who are walking in the light, abide. So for example, um, chapter 2, 24. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So those who hear the truth and it sticks with them, they persevere. All right, and then the thing they, the, one of the main things that should be persevering, and again, kind of look not only at, okay, so this is what First John says, and he's talking to this first century, but have it speak to us as well that uh, how are we looking in that? Are we persevering? Um, and so one of the things is loving God and others a very central thing in the Christian walk. And on your sheet there, versus hatred or, that blank is indifference. I think most of you have experienced when, when someone doesn't love you, uh, they might hate you, but probably more often indifference uh, is what we feel. They just don't really care. And I think that's the more uh, likely thing to look at. Does our life, our walk with the Lord, uh, evidence that we do care, that, he, uh, that we do love him, that he is weighty in our life. Uh, and likewise with others. Um, I had an, an experience of someone that um, was fairly close to me. And slowly we kind of worked through this that um, this person did not actively dislike me. There just was no connection. And we were close enough where there kind of needed to be or should have been a connection. And we worked uh, through that. And that, you know, that is a sweet thing. Again, there were, there were never harsh words, there's never, but. Uh, we don't want that sort of indifference either to God or with one another. And it doesn't mean we're going to be, you know, super close with every person in this room or in the church, but that we do have a, a care and a concern for uh, the people that we uh, walk with the Lord together. All right, a couple of verses there from, uh, again, from... First John, uh, it's going to lead right into this. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light, yet hates his brother, and again, that may be indifference, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So it uses that same darkness and light 
metaphor there as it talks about loving or not loving our brethren. And that kind of leads into this uh, next part about growing in obedience and holiness um, versus ungodliness. Because it says, First um, John 5, 2, by this we know that we love the children of God. So you may say, what, what are some of the ways you can tell? And some of them probably aren't that hard to figure out. But uh, he ties it to, uh, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. That might not be how you would have thought right away of how you show your love for your brothers and sisters, but part of it is loving God and observing his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Similarly, in, uh, if we were to look at 2 John uh, 1.6, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So it, it ties, John ties keeping God's commandments to love, and even that that's not just loving God, that's loving uh, our brothers and sisters. And, and I, I do find uh, it just tremendously encouraging, we've talked about this a bit, but to see brothers and sisters following the Lord, especially in hard places where it wouldn't be the natural reaction that they're showing, and it's clearly because they're believers and they're trying to please God, and that does uh, love us in the sense that it encourages us, it builds us up, it uh, stimulates us uh, in good ways. Um, Can I go back to something? Yeah. So this, on the second section there, you talked about versus hatred or everything, and you kind of indicated it. My question would be, where, where, what do you base, I don't disagree with you mm -hmm. about the difference, but we're looking at what the Word of God says, and we're looking at what the words mean. Right. And where where would you come up with from other scriptures the word study that in that hatred or because they seem very different to me. Right. Hatred and, and indifference seem very different to me. They are different. So I would say though they're they're different versions mm -hmm. of not loving. Mm -hmm. um, but the word. Let is me hatred. let me get back. What's that? The word is hatred. I mean, it's used again and again everywhere it's used. It's used as hatred in other scriptures. Right. So I'm saying that loving God, that when we don't love God, mm -hmm. that can be hatred. And sometimes that's, you know, for example, uh, I guess one that would jump to mind is when it talks about taking care of our own families, that if we don't meet their physical needs, that that's worse than being an unbeliever. I don't want to stop too long because I'd probably have to go back and do more of a study to give you a full sure, answer. Sure. But that, that would be one example where you're not, you're not really <coughs> doing something violent against them, <coughs> excuse me, but you're not meeting their needs. So you're, you're being indifferent, you're being uh, uncaring. But yeah, I don't know that I have more than that off the top of my head. Anybody else have a thought on that? Yep, so, Steve? Does the scripture say if you don't hate your mother or father, that word is hate, but I would say clearly that doesn't mean hate as I would think hate would say. Right. So it has to have some other kind of, I would expect, to yeah. have some other connotation in that context. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. That's uh, using the context to see what is the actual, how do we flesh that out? Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts? Okay. All right. Um, all right, so growing in obedience or holiness versus ungodliness. Yeah, I was going to say, so um, Margaret and I were uh, very happily there at the birth of a, another granddaughter <clears throat> uh, about three or four days ago uh, up near Washington, D.C., and they... Um, they had a difficult uh, first little bit. This little person came out and looked spectacular. Everything had been textbook, full term, pink little girl. Everything was great. 
And my daughter is an uh, emergency room pediatrician, and so she notices things. Uh, we weren't in the room. This is just uh, her and her husband and all the medical people. And um, they're taking pictures, and she said, um, she's, she's turning a little blue, and the, some of the stuff coming out of the nose is, is colored, which I won't get into all the details, but some of you may know that's meconium. It's some of the baby's first uh, stool that's gotten into the lungs. And, and so she said, I think we've done enough pictures. Let's, uh, and so anyway, long and short, uh, all of a sudden this child's being rushed over to the NICU and their oxygen's plummeting. And uh, we're hearing about this later. Well, so my daughter and her husband had about an hour uh, where they weren't hearing anything uh, so, you know, things don't happen perfectly. You would like to have had somebody sent over once in a while and say, here's how it's going, because she has resuscitated a lot of babies, and when they don't get to tell the parents, it's usually because things are not going well, and so they really don't have the time to stop and go say anything to uh, the parents. So she and her husband are doing a lot of weeping, uh, and after an hour they came in, they said, well, you know, it's... It, Seems to be going okay, or oxygen got very low, but now it's better, and so on. Well, all of that, there was about a day when things were very rough, and you know, you go from this first little picture that they took that was so cute, and that no tubes, no nothing, and all of a sudden, here's this child with tubes and everything you can think of, and uh, nobody can touch them, and so on. And by the way, she's doing fabulous. So uh, I'll just take you to the last. <laughs> but the thing I was going to say is, so along the way, you know, she kind of, our daughter kind of walked us through. Um, and it, it just was tremendously encouraging to me that they, she said, we just, we were crying a lot, but we just prayed and she said, I just thought, okay, maybe this is what God has. I've, I've got to uh, be able to just trust that he is going to do what is right and what is good. And uh, I won't give you long details about it, but it was just tremendously encouraging to me. So just as an example, when we see brothers and sisters that are seeking to walk with the Lord in hard places, especially, I mean, even in easy places, but especially in hard places. It's just tremendously encouraging. And in its, when we think of obedience, it's not just checking off boxes and, oh, I'm supposed to do this, so I'll do that. It's, it's literally, and Chris kind of alluded to this, it's in the nitty-gritty of life, like he mentioned in the sermon, that if, if you're doing family devotions, that's great, but if you're doing family devotions, but then the rest of the time you're being obnoxious with your wife and you're, you're not really being helpful and you're you know, on and on, um, that, that isn't very encouraging. That isn't um, growing in holiness and obedience that's from the heart and that encourages, uh, pleases God and encourages brothers and sisters. All right, so walking in the light. Um, under that growing in obedience, 1 John 2, 4, the one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. So again, that idea that it should show itself in heartfelt obedience. All right, and then the next one, trusting in the truth versus spiritual ignorance and or error. So sometimes that lack of truth, it just seems to be ignorance. But again, we should be growing in grace and knowledge uh, if we're walking in the light. And even worse is when it's just uh, not just ignorance, but error. Um, and so 1 John 2, uh, 22 who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. 
And then on a, that little blank there, including on a personal level, uh, sometimes holding on to the truth is also understanding um, where we are uh, in our walk with God. So, and that really includes the next couple of verses we're going to look at, 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, the idea there is, is trusting in the truth is primarily about who God is, how he's working, uh, what the gospel is, but it also includes being truthful in the way we look at ourselves. So, sometimes uh, not walking in the light, walking in the darkness can include uh, ideas like we have no sin, and we're going to look at that a little bit more. And then I kind of added another at the end just because it, it seems like this whole um, letter is a call to openness and sincerity regarding good and evil. Uh, so transparency, sincerity versus hiddenness and hypocrisy. And just for example, 1 John 1 uh, verses 6, 8, and 10 all start with, if we say this, but here's what's going on, um, and it's the idea of, it doesn't so much matter what we put out there as this is, this is the reality. Uh, if our life uh, really looks very differently from that, uh, then we aren't walking openly, we aren't walking in the light in that sense. Uh, Ephesians 5 says it uh, very directly. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed to the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. And it does seem like a lot of 1 John is just kind of shining a light on our, uh, our life, our walk with Christ and saying, uh, does it look like you're walking in the light or does it look like uh, we're actually walking in darkness? And I love uh, Proverbs 4.18 uh, says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So what I'd encourage is just as you look at these passages, uh, I think, most everybody in this room, maybe everybody in this room, uh, will say, I definitely am not uh, close to perfect in this. I've got dark places that I want to continue to weed out. Uh, but the big picture is I'm walking in the light. I'm, I'm seeking to love God and to love my brothers and sisters. And again, if you see, if we see big uh, dark places, like, except there's this one person I can't stand, and I'm just so bitter about them. Um, you know, I do think those are not things to take lightly. So even if we say, well, the big picture looks pretty good, there's this glaring dark spot, but I'm not going to worry about that. That's, that's not where we want to go. We want to get rid of those dark uh, places. But, but I do think first, you know, John is calling us to test, but I think his, his sense is that most of these folks that he's writing to are, in fact, believers and are walking in the light and trying to increasingly do that. Um, if you would turn to 2 Peter 1, I, I just want to show you a passage I'm sure you're familiar with, but that is saying a lot of the same things as this walk in the light, not in the darkness. It's just not using symbolism so much. Uh, it's more just straightforward. Um, and both have their own way. I mean, images and symbolism can have a, a certain power to them. Uh, we also like things that are very straightforward. Second Peter 1, 5, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith Supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. 
And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And then it says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And then there's a call to action again. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. That's one of the more uh, clear, compact uh, descriptions of sanctification and how God works and what it should look like, that we are supposed to supply all diligence. It doesn't just happen. Uh, but at the same time, we know that ultimately God is the one who gives um, the progress and the growth and, um, and that we should see that. And as we see that, that we are assured uh, that we are in him. And similarly, as this walk of walking in the light, in love, in obedience, in uh, firm grasp of the truth, understanding it, holding to it, all of that should be growing too as we pursue uh, Christ. All right, any last comments on that or questions? All right. Um, so, and then it, it goes from there to... Uh, that if we walk in the light, uh, that we have fellowship with one another. Uh, and we talked a, a little bit last time about that it seems that there you could make the argument for that that fellowship with one another um, can be God and can be other believers. It is that common word that's used, koinonia, uh, that talks about sharing, intimacy, and again, I just look at uh, our own walk. Uh, do we feel like we have that intimacy with God? Almost, uh, well, I wouldn't even say, even say almost. Everybody has times where they feel closer to the Lord, times not so much. But we do want to be growing in that. And then intimacy even with other believers that we... Um, don't allow ourselves to get kind of, man, I don't care that much about that. I'm doing my own thing. And uh, talk about as people get older, they can get crusty, but that's, that's not a good thing. And that's uh, something that uh, sort of a, a hardness or an uncaring um, is certainly not what we should be looking for. Uh, we want that fellowship with one another to be getting closer and sweeter, both with the Lord and with one another. And then uh, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Uh, I think we all can say amen to all sin. Thank you. Um, and just a reminder, so this walking in the light, though, it's, I mean, it's, it's a picture of what believers should look like. It isn't something where we go, well, I, I've got to really, I mean, yes, we should be diligent, but again, recognizing this is something that God works in us as we seek to walk out the means that he gives us, uh, being in the word, being in prayer, being in fellowship, all the different things that he gives us, but he's the one who ultimately brings it. So it really is a fruit, uh, this, this love, for example, I mean, just, just kind of working yourself up uh, with no help from God to love everybody in this church, uh, let alone all the other people in your world, your family, and so on, um, it is a pretty hopeless thing. You, you'll love some of them uh, because you like them, uh, and they're, they're like you, and so on. But uh, to truly love everyone, now again, that, there's going to be different levels of relationship, but still, truly loving them. Uh, and even loving the Lord in a way that is keeping his commandments and seeking him and, and enjoying his presence and his intimacy, those things uh, just done on our own efforts are going to 
fail, I, I think of it just to stick with the light uh, analogy. It's kind of like a light bulb. Uh, the light is the evidence that there's electricity going to it. And if, if there's no electricity going to it, now I'm sure somebody could come up with some elaborate way to make light somehow come out of that bulb, but if we're just talking normal stuff, the light is the evidence that there's, uh, there's a power uh, going into it. You can't say, well, there's no power, but I'm, I'm gonna somehow make that thing have light. And I just want to remind us of that because sometimes this can feel like, okay, so I've got I've to generate all this on my own. Um, Paul frequently would say things like that he worked harder than all the others, yet not I, but Christ in me. Um, just a reminder of where the power really comes from. All right, so then number three on there is avoiding misunderstanding about walking in the light. So, you know, there's this, here's God who's perfectly light. There's no darkness in him. We're supposed to walk in that light. You know, lest someone thinks they have to achieve, um, well, I've got on your page there, not sinless perfection. That that's not what he's talking about. And I wanted to take a little longer, so I'm gonna ask you to think uh, through this with me. you know, you, you could just say, well, okay, there's, and I mentioned last time, there's these rare little groups that believe you can get to sinless perfection. And um, that's a pretty small number that just say it starkly like that, that, yeah, yeah I can just, I haven't sinned in, in five years or, you know, whatever it is that they can achieve that. But how could one realistically claim to have no sin, either as an unbeliever or as a believer. More? Because the bar is set too low. Okay. <laughs> so you redefine the bar. Um, yeah, like you'll hear people say things like, well, I never killed anybody, uh, you know, or something like that. And, uh, okay. What else? The what idea, would be other ways? The idea that it's all forgiven, so it doesn't Okay. Okay. I'm forgiven, so it doesn't matter what I do. Right. So it's not really sin because it's forgiven. Okay, so you're taking something good and making something bad out of it. Okay, good. All right. Okay. <laughs> Clearly, that's true. They haven't read far enough in Scripture. See it. Just a misunderstanding theologically background that we came out of basically when you got saved Jesus washed away all my sins and so therefore I'm, I am sanctified also and so I'm I, I don't sin okay I just don't sin. so I, I mean there, we were in a service where someone stood up and said no I, I I'm saved I'm covered by God's you know I've washed away my sins not covered by the blood necessarily washed away my sins, so I don't sin anymore. Wow, okay. I've just always thought you must have to do some interesting thought experiments to stay with that. Okay, anything else? Other ways that that's done? Josh? All things are lawful for me, and my conscience doesn't doesn't currently condemn me in anything I'm doing. Therefore, nothing I'm doing can be sin. Okay, so you take Scripture and twist it a little bit and misapply it. Okay. Yep. So going back to what Sandy was saying, if, if I'm totally sanctified, then I'm not sinning, but it might be a mistake. Right. Uh, so that's a Okay. Put another name on it. All right. Good. Anything else? Just along those same lines, it's just reinforced by authorities that you're, like the church leaders that you're involved with in a bad church or your parents. You know, people that you really trust, mm-hmm. you're constantly in that environment and you're not doing the research that they provide in the definition of sin. Good. Yeah. Okay, so not digging into scripture, just hearing what other people say about it. Yeah, Jay? I'd say, um, you know, the people that he's writing about the Gnostics have a mm-hmm. specific way of, of the Gnostics. Uh, 
of separating flesh and spirit. Right. But also that passage itself where it says Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. That cleanse that word is ongoing. So that's mm. always happening. So that's for me in that sense. Okay. Sending it that way, but that's why it's spelling Good. Okay. All right. All right, well, I'm going to go a little bit rapid fire because I don't want to get hung up in blanks here, but I gave you a lot, sorry. Um, so you've said a bunch of them, but so the first one, first century pre-Gnosticism, what is done in the body doesn't affect the spirit. So again, it just doesn't matter. Uh, kind of moving up to our time, eliminate uh, sin by saying God doesn't exist so there are no moral absolutes. There really isn't anything called sin. Um, so then three would be redefine sin. Not sin as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. You'll hear that said, well, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's okay. Um, you reduce it to a few cultural categories. So, you know, there I think of, like you might say, well, as long as I um, don't have a big carbon footprint, and I'm not uh, transphobic, and I mean, you can put, and I recycle, or whatever, you can kind of make your own list, and so they're doable things, okay, I could do that, and then you feel there's a certain righteousness that uh, can be felt with that, if, if that's how you define it, so you boil it down to some, some doable cultural things, or I even think of when we are asked to um, apologize for what previous generations did, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but, um, but it's kind of makes you, it, it tends to, to my mind anyway, make you feel a little self-righteous to, to apologize for slavery in the sense that, you know, again, it's not that it wasn't horrible and very wrong, but I've, we've got enough things that we actually did, uh, you know, like I'll sometimes think that day, well, I just, you know, went off on somebody that I didn't need to, that was obnoxious and so on. You know, it's harder to feel great about getting forgiveness for that, but this other thing sounds kind of grand. So anyway, Jonathan, did I see a hand back there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, and by the way, yeah, my categories, <laughs> there's some mixing and stuff, so don't, don't get too uh, concerned about that. But turn upside down according to... Okay, go ahead, Becky. So Muslims that think that it's righteous to kill yeah. Hindus or anybody else that disagrees with them, I think it's a cultural thing. They, you know, Muhammad told them that's what they're supposed to do, right. and they're going to get, you know, a great place in heaven if they do it, and yeah. they don't see it as a sin. Yeah. Killing people, even. I mean, right. what they're supposed to be doing. So that, yeah, that actually would fit, turn upside down according to current, I put cultural definitions, but maybe religious definitions. Yeah, so, I mean, there are, you take some authority other than scripture that has a very different view. So, you know, turning it upside down. So again, some of the gender things, some of the homosexuality and so on, they're, they're not only seen as, as not sinful, but... You know, you're, you're a much better person if you wholeheartedly endorse it. Uh, abortion is another one where, you know, you're, you're promoting women's health care. You're not taking the life of an innocent unborn child. Um, 
So, yeah, lots of ways. The other two I had under redefine sin was, sorry about the big words, but medicalize and psychologize. So, you know, medicalize where you um, <laughs> feel like I'm just going to trot on toes, but that's, uh, I'll just say it anyway. So oppositional defiant disorder, that's, um, that's a real thing that they, uh, or at least they put it out as a real thing uh, in the medical establishment that that's a diagnosis. It isn't that a child has a sinful heart and needs more than, and, and is higher <laughs> on the list of, of oppositional young people, kids, uh, but that it's, it's some medical diagnosis or um, when you um, talk about, you know, homosexuality as well, or or drunkenness, alcoholism, and again, I, I want to be quick to say that doesn't mean there's no, uh, you know, that the physical or genetics or things like that have zero effect. They do. Um, so I do think we don't want to over, you know, just go, oh, you know, that's just so ridiculous. Those things really, there. I do think there are tendencies, and, and even in simple things like our seven kids, right from the get-go, some of them had a little more anger issues, some of them had a little more laziness issues, some of them just seemed incredibly sweet all the time, almost. Uh, you know, you could go right down the line. I mean, there are just different traits, and, and some of them, I just love seeing the different traits. Some of them, I'm like, whew. Yeah, that one was a more, more of a challenge initially. So, I mean, I do think they're, they're wired, but, they're, but we're still responsible is the point. Uh, and, and everybody sitting in this room, and me too, has you know, their tendencies, both some things that, that are, are good and positive and you can do things with it. And then there are things that are like, I just wrestle with that all the time. I wish I didn't have that. Um, so, again, not to say that the physical isn't a part. We are physical and spiritual beings uh, melded into one. But, again, when it's pushed to the point of removing responsibility, that's when it's been pushed too far. And same with psychologize. Just because they make it the DSM-5R, whatever they're up to now, where they define all these psych psychiatric problems, just because a group of men, you know, at one point, men and women says that, uh, I'm sorry to keep hitting homosexuality, it's just the, the one that's the most obvious, that used to be uh, a problem, and now it's not at all. Well, nothing changed. I mean, we have to decide either, here's what I believe about it, um, but things are frequently psychologized. Um, yeah, the book we're going through as men's groups about uh, heart of addiction, same idea with that. Uh, addiction becomes just a medical, physiologic, genetic thing um, versus, sure, there are tendencies. Some, some families seem to have people who have more temptation in that uh, arena, but we're still responsible. Um, all right, just very quickly, number four, blame shift. My sin is due to what someone did to me. Uh, the term I, I never love is triggered me because it just sounds like I'm just a gun just waiting to go off, and if somebody pulls the trigger, I mean, I'm just going to go. Like, I can't do anything about that. Um, uh, blame shifting my upbringing, my genetics, my environment. Uh, or it's a side effect of some drug or medicine, you know, and I'll keep saying it, those things can be looked at. They, they do have an effect. Uh, and, and honestly, sometimes it is heartbreaking because and I just don't want to diminish the fact that there are people who have had upbringings that are horrific and that, that hugely impact them. So I don't, I don't want to play that down, but we just never want to take it to the place of you have no hope because uh, you're not responsible. Because the trouble is when you take away responsibility, you also take away 
not only sin, but hope, because there isn't much you could ever do about it. Um, and lastly, minimize, and that's kind of what Tom was talking about. They're not sins, they're just mistakes, bad choices, struggles, a moment's insanity. I mean, my whole life was pretty good. I just pulled that trigger once and killed that guy, but that was, does that one minute have to define my whole life? Well, it has its impact. Uh, or they are outweighed by my good deeds. So many, they don't say they never sin, but just, you know, again, I remember a neighbor of mine saying, I think I'll do okay before the Lord. I've done I've done so many good things, and the things that I did that were wrong really weren't that bad, and that's that last thing on there. They're not, uh, or they may say, comparing, they're not as bad as, and you can fill in the blank, you know, I'm not a, I'm certainly not a Hitler, or even, you know, my neighbor across the way, you know, he does these terrible things, and I, I don't do that. So a lot of different ways. Right. And even non-Christians can pretty quickly come to the point and say, well, if you lie, you're a liar. Right? Right. And yet what we do is we say, oh, I only told one lie. Right. I only, only did that one thing. But no, that still means right? Right. that's your condition. Right. But I'm not a big liar. I'm a little liar. Right. <laughs> well, if someone else lies, that makes them a liar. But if you lie, it's yeah, yeah, we tend to cut ourselves more slack. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's go a little further. All right, so it shouldn't be something where we fool ourselves and we either deny or diminish our sin, but it should involve honest confession leading to full forgiveness and cleansing. So that's verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, you know, on the surface of things, that's pretty straightforward. It's a, a verse we probably all know well. But uh, I do think when we... All of these things, when you really look at them, it's uh, amazing the, the little ways we can have the wrong idea or that I can have the wrong idea. Um, so again, it's this idea of agreeing or saying the same thing as someone. Uh, and so in this case, it's agreeing with God's assessment that we are sinners and we sin. Because uh, that verse 8 and 10 that we were just looking at about if we say that we have no sin, the first verse 8 kind of has the idea of denying that we are sinful, that we, that we have that nature. And verse 10 is a little more the idea of denying that we do individual sins. So similar, but it's, um, it's kind of this pretty wholesale denial that sin is a problem for us. So it's saying part of confessing is that we agree with God's assessment. So, you know, and I do think as even as believers, we probably all do this. I know I do. That, um, but more in this, it's more nuanced, but it's still not a good thing. Like, you know, we can sort of dumb down or minimize sin to the point where like, really, would God, you know, like I think a, a, a very common one is uh, understanding that hell would be the sufficient or the, the appropriate response to an unrepentant sinner. I don't think that's easy. I think it's, uh, but I realize that is in my case, probably owing to still not being to the point of really agreeing with God wholeheartedly, 
about what sin is before him, what it is in reality. So, so I do think uh, confessing begins with that, seeking to have the same view of it, particularly our sin, uh, as God would have. So you're well aware, Romans 3, 9, what then are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And there are lots of other verses we could look at, but uh, you know them. Um, Luke 18, and, and I'm going to go kind of quickly through these, but that's the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and it's the one where the, the Pharisee, uh, it says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was unwilling to even lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. Again, just a, a very graphic example of two people who were looking at their own sin. And one of them was not understanding and agreeing with what God really said about it, where uh, the tax collector had a very clear view of it, uh, and it says he was the one who was justified. Um, Mark 2.17, hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I think we know that, that does, he, he's not saying there, there's some people who are so righteous, they don't even need me. Uh, that would certainly get rid of Romans 3 and what we just said about there's not even one and uh, uh, scores of other verses. But the idea is I've come for those who realize they need help. Uh, you know, like if, if I have somebody that has some very serious thing that needs really serious treatment um, and they're not at all on the same page, you've got to take the time to go, here's what's going on, here's what's... And so uh, that's what Christ is saying there, uh, is we need to have that right view of our sin before a perfectly holy God, uh, before we can um, have that forgiveness and cleansing that he promises. Uh, then confessing our specific sins and seeking to forsake them. And I'm, like I say, I'm going to fly here because, um, and so uh, as Jay said about me, he'll take any questions that I don't cover next week. <laughs> uh, so specific sins, numbers five, six, and seven. Speak to the sons of Israel when a man or woman commits any of the sins of mankind, acting unfaithfully against the Lord, and that person is guilty. He shall confess his sins which he has committed, and he shall make restitution in full for his wrong. Uh, Proverbs 28, 13, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And I would just say, be careful about claiming that we're great sinners. We're just, you know, we sin. I can't get through an hour without sinning. And, and things like that are said. But then when a specific thing is, you know, it seems like you were kind of uh, angry that, oh, no, I wasn't angry. Uh, we just kind of want to defend ourselves against when an actual specific sin comes up. I'll let you think about that if that applies to you. But I think it's super common that, that it's almost a little self-righteous to say, yeah, I'm just, I'm such a great sinner. But then to be very defensive and indignant when anyone ever suggests that there was this thing you just did that maybe you want to think about. So uh, that's, that's kind of one of the ways, or one of the reasons I think why confessing specific sins is important. Um, 
At the same time, number three, the perfection of our confession is not what secures our forgiveness. Our forgiveness is Hebrews 10, 14, by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we're, we're already forgiven, perfected. Um, that was Martin Luther's error where he thought he, had to, he would just rack his brain and exhaust himself making sure he'd thought of and mentioned every single sin that he'd done that day because he really believed if he had left one out, it didn't get forgiven. That's not what this verse is saying. Um, but it is the idea that we're agreeing with God and, uh, and bringing those specific things that we recall is, is a good thing. Uh, for our confession and forgiveness involves our fellowship, not our adoption. So we don't lose our sonship or daughtership to God, uh, but rather um, our uh, walk with him is affected. Uh, Psalm 51, verse 8, where David says, Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. So, I mean, you can just see that David is in misery, has been in misery because of holding, withholding uh, confession and just hiding his sin. And he wants to be restored. Uh, or you think of, uh, you can read the passage in John 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And of course, Peter, his usual bravado, says, oh, no, not me. And then he says, well, then you have no part with me. And he says, well, then just you know, give me a head-to-toe bath. And uh, Christ says, that's not needed. You've already been washed. Uh, you just have need that your feet uh, be washed. And it's that similar idea that it, it isn't that we need to be regenerated again, but that our, uh, our walk with God has been put in a, a bad place. And then finally, our confession should sometimes include other people. That could be a whole long discussion. Uh, but uh, particularly when those sins involve them and impact them, uh, Matthew 5, 23 says, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering before the altar and first be reconciled to your brother. And then uh, Luke 17, if he sins against you seven times and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. Uh, and then the one that's probably best known, James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. There's ones about disclosing things during baptism. There's quite an interesting little list of times where it's very appropriate to confess our sins um, to other people, primarily to God, but that there's a place for that. So again, the, the picture of walking in the light is that you're pursuing holiness, you're pursuing love, and you're, you are sinning, you're not sinless, and when you do, you're confessing uh, to Christ and finding forgiveness. In chapter 2, we'll get into, uh, even though he said, you will sin, uh, he then goes right into, he's telling you these things, so you won't. Uh, so it isn't that it becomes something that doesn't really matter. Uh, it does, but John keeps kind of uh, giving us guard, strong guardrails and, and uh, keeping us from flying off one side of the road or the other. Okay. We went over a little bit. Any last comment or question? Okay, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we, uh, we do pray that you would help each of us to rejoice in being able to walk in the light, that uh, something as spectacular as loving you and uh, even loving one another well uh, is, is even offered to us. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that uh, you help us to grow in understanding and love for you. You help us to grow in uh, godliness and holiness. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be diligent in that uh, and to give you all glory for helping us uh, to truly grow. Uh, and Father, above all, we do thank you for the forgiveness that you give us as we confess our sins. Help us to be a people that are more open, more honest, more sincere uh, in our walk with you and in our relationship with one another. Uh, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.